the question about atonement rituals are always bothersome when it comes to Yom Kippur time, isn't it? Because you would think in Judaism, if you want atonement, you have to do something. You have to do, like we say, tshuva. But sprinkling blood, or doing what we call a ritual, is always problematic. I think to most of us it's problematic. In today's year, I want to try and bridge the gap between the two. And I want to bring an example, and that's why I didn't give out the source sheets yet. If someone asks you, what would be a classic example of an atonement ritual? What we call kapara. Give me like the classic example of a ritual that gives us atonement. Okay, the scapegoat. Like the, Yom Kippur, the Yom Kippur service. Throwing a scapegoat off a, off a cliff. The coin got on Yom Kippur. Like kaparas. When we do kaparas, right? The idea that you can do some kind of act, some symbolic act, and that achieves some type of atonement from God is very difficult to understand rationally. To try to bridge that gap, I want to bring an example, the only example of kapara, an act of kapara, in Sefer Tvarim. I want to come from Vayikra, the word kapara, everywhere you turn. Korbanot, the word kapara, everywhere. Sefer Tvarim is usually laws about society, about the nation of Israel. We don't find the concept of kapara, but there's one law in Sefer Tvarim that has kapara. And we, someone who didn't get the source sheet. <laughs> Anyone know which one it is? Egla uh, Rufa. As, by show of hands, let me, how many people have heard of Egla Rufa? Okay, most of you. Okay, so we give a quick, short summary of what it is. <coughs> um, it's just, if there's a homicide, and we don't know who killed that person, so we measure to the side of the corpse, we find out what city is closest, the elders of that city have to take this Egla, a little baby calf, and... We break its neck by a certain riverbed, and the elders of the city have to chant a certain, make a certain statement after breaking the back of the, uh, the calf. And then there's another statement of Kaper Lam Ha'Yisrael. Um, and then by doing that, we've sort of solved the problem. Not solved the problem, but we've atoned the sin. Would you consider that law, which is a classic case of Kapara, as one of the what's called Chukim? Or Mishpatim. Yeah, everyone remember those two types of laws? How would you define a chok? Everyone's heard of chokim? Statutes in English, but... What's the difference between a chok and a mishpat in general? A chok has no rational explanation. What we would say doesn't make sense. And a mishpat makes sense. Yeah, what, what are the, the classic examples of chok? Paraduma. Those are classes. Which one? Shofar. Okay, shofar is a little more... It's, Shofar, they don't bring as a classic example. When they bring, para, when they bring chok, they bring paraduma. Shatness also. There's no, there's no obvious reason at all. Almost no logic to it. The question is, does Egla Rufa fall in that category? Is it more like a chok or more like a mishpat? Okay. Okay, so let's, let's hear two sides. Who says chok? Okay. Um, try it. Yeah? Why chok? Just real short. Yeah, there's no, what, what is breaking an animal's neck and... And washing hands on it, you know, have to do with, with, with a homicide. Yeah? Okay, so it's, it's, it might be some... It, by doing that, but then let's do something more logical than breaking some calf, than breaking some calf's neck. Correct? There might, we're going to get to that, though, very soon. Um, before we start to share one last word of introduction, I picked this topic for a sort of a second reason. Uh, the lecture is in memory of the bombs and... Um, but, but I heard the story, just now I didn't realize how interesting it was. Um, the bomb, fam, um, the bomb, your grandfather, right? Grandfather. And grandmother, who were, um, your grandmother was a child, was, um, was a Holocaust survivor, right? Both, both of them, the grandparents were both Holocaust survivors. Both lost their spouses and married after the Holocaust. But the idea of, of homicide, their, the idea of, of murder, and they were not talking about it at a community level, we're talking about it at a universal level something thing, and how to stop that, and how to prevent that, and how Judaism fights that, that's pretty much the topic of our lecture tonight. And that's why I want to connect it in their memory. They're an example of survival and doing something about it, and obviously the direction to do something about it is education, but I want to bring that as an introduction. Um, I, well, I take one more answer, now we can give out the source sheet. And here, pass these around. If you have a, a regular Chumash, it's Devarim chapter 21, and let me just lay out what we're going to do in the class, and then I'll take one or two other uh, questions. Uh, what we're going to do in the class is as follows. We're going to read the story. We're going to study. This is Drisha. So 
It's not a lecture, it's a class. It's a share. We're going to have a class on Naim Sukim. In that cl- by studying the Sukim about Ekel Rufa, we're going to try and understand, is this a Chok or a Mishmat? Then we're going to see what the commentators say about it. And then we're going to see how it's going to reflect a very basic idea in Judaism, especially as far as Yom Kippur is concerned. Because the idea of the lecture series is Shurim, which gets us ready for the high holidays. Okay, now, while the, while the pages are going around, there's one more page in English we'll give out later on for those who will be about two hours till we get there. Yeah. What do you want to add? I mean, seeing blood, like the sight of blood might... might Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Some of the commentators bring that up and we'll see something similar soon. Okay. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to learn together chapter 21 and see the case. Okay. We'll read it together and um, just give me one... Okay, head over here. I'm fine. Okay. Oh. We have to read the Hebrew. The English have the English on the side. The first three, four psukim we'll do quickly because the fun stuff is in the later on. Based on the first pasuk, how do we know it's a homicide and not just a death? We'll read it. Um, chapter 21. Right? Halal. Yeah. Kimatei halal, Halal could be, in modern day Hebrew also, when people die in war, unfortunately, they're called halalim. Badama asher Hashem elkecha noten lachalarishta, nofer basadeh, v'lun adam mi hikahu. We don't know who had smitten him. This is a case of a homicide, not just a death. We're not talking about someone who died, unfortunately, say, of a heart attack or something, and we found him lying on the street. It's a case of a homicide. There's one other word which I want to pay attention to in the beginning, because uh, they said they bring in people to speak from outside of New York, which I guess includes Israel. <laughs> so we have a reference here to that land. Okay? So, if this is logical, then this should apply anywhere. Now, if this is a problem of murder, what... We don't want to have murder anywhere. Okay. Why specifically does this law apply to the land of Israel? That'll be a good question. We'll talk about. It. Yeah, I don't want to answer it yet. I just want to bring up the question. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, do you know the name Eretz Yisrael is never in Chumash? It's never called Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Canaan, Haaretz. In fact, Eretz Yisrael usually refers to something smaller in, in Tanakh. Um, now. The first thing you have to do is a, a larger court, probably the Beit Din Yerushalayim, sends out the officials and they measure the closest place to that corpse. Then, The elders of the city that was closest have to take this egla, this baby calf, and they take a baby calf, I call Koilonik, you know what the Koilonik is? Yeah. It says a calf that, that never worked. Or never? Okay. You got the idea? Okay. okay. I was just kidding. It was a, a calf that hasn't worked before. The same thing you have by, uh, by, by uh, Paraduma. Okay. Then those elders of the city take it to a Nachalaitan. Does this mean a valley with a lot of water or very dry with almost no water? That's an argument among the commentators. Is this describing what that valley is or what that valley will be? Do I take it to a place which is dry, which can't be planted anyhow? Or do I take it to a place which, is really have, which has a lot of water, but because of this, we can't work it again afterwards because of what happens here? That, they only gave me two hours for this year, so I can't go into too much. No, only 45 minutes or so. But we can't do everything here. But it's an interesting argument. No. That's the boring part. Now we're set up. Listen. What I want you to do now, I'm going to give you a very short assignment. Um, you try to do it with the Hebrew, but if not, you can do it with English. A ceremony is about to take place. What I want you to do is pretend you're working for the publishing company, and it's your job to do the punctuation. And you have to put in what they call, I guess, what are these called? Quotation marks. When do you put quotation marks? When somebody speaks. Starting from Pasuke, I'll read the beginning. Uh, 
Then the Kwanim come, come close. But first we had this Kinim, we had the elders of the city and the Shoftim and the judges. And now the Kwanim come. And why did they come? Because God chose them to serve Him, to bless in His name. And based on their words, they're in charge of all arguments and quarrels. And what Nega is, is that referring to the laws of Tzarat or something else, we can argue. Okay. Then, Starting from Pasuk Bab, then the Chodzignehir, the elders of the city, close to the Chalal, they come and they have the ceremony. What I want you to do, this, there's going to be a declaration in the ceremony. I want you to decide where, did the, where would you put the quotation marks. In the English translation, you used to have them and I took them out. Okay? <laughs> That's a page I gave you. <laughs> right? this, is, uh, this is JPS 19, this is one online. I think 1917 JPS. This is, yeah. That's why it's the, the Ramban. Yeah. <laughs> it's over the internet. Uh-huh. What's interesting, I found out in Jerusalem Bible they don't put in. In the English one, let me see if they put them in. Oh, yeah, they did, and they did it wrong, I think. No? Okay, yeah. So don't look in your English, Kumash. Right? No. <laughs> don't look in the English side, but don't worry, I don't think it's right there either. Uh, put, put, where would you put the quotation marks? Understand? Okay, so take, take a minute. Decide where to put them. And pretend you can. You're working for the editor. If you need to look up a translation, look up the English to translate. But okay. where's the quote? Yeah, the where's yeah where's it begins? It's really easy. Yeah, Remember? Okay. The elders of the city washed their hands, where they broke the neck of the agla, and then vanu v'amru. What that mean? Vanu v'amru. The Anu v'amru, this week's parsha. Isn't it this week's parsha? The Anita v'amarta by Bikurim. The Anu v'amru means they answer and they say. A little interesting introduction. First quotation mark is Yadenu. And where do you close it? Okay, wait. Don't, don't answer. Yet. I want everyone to find an answer, and then we'll take nominees. Remember, remember that method I used that before. No, find an answer, and then we'll take nominations, and we'll discuss it. If it was an easy question, I wouldn't be asking it. <laughs> but don't let that... Okay? Okay. okay we'll, we'll take nominations in 10 seconds. Okay? Ready to nominate? Okay, well, well you can get one nomination at a time. Okay. <laughs> okay. One nomination. Where will you close the quotation mark? Nominate one? One place? The, the, the end of Pasuk... The end of Pasuk Zion. Okay. Any other nominees? Adam. What? Adam. All the way by, at the end of Pasuk Chet. Okay. So far I have two nominees. The end of Pasuk Zion, the end of verse 7, and the end of verse 6, and the end of verse 8. Another nominee? Be'ker of Amchai Yisrael. In the middle, in the middle of verse 8. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so in the middle, right? Okay, what? A second one. Okay, we have a second. Means, means it's one, we open Yadenu Lashavhu, our hands didn't this, and we go to the middle, or three quarters of the way through, through Pasek, through Pasechet. Okay, another nominee. Wait a second. Someone in the back had one? Yeah? All the way to the end of Pasechet. Another possibility. Okay. And, what do you want to put? I, I was going to vote for the yeah, but the next page is a different book. That's, that's chapters. That's a different. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> that's the real documentary hypothesis. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, ready to vote? Okay. Okay. Who who's voting for the end of Pasuk Zion? That was the first nominee. The end of end of verse seven. We have one, two, three, three, four votes. Okay. Okay. Who's voting all the way to the end of verse eight? Four, five, five, six, seven votes. Okay. Um, who says all the way to the end of Pasek, all the way to the end of Pasek Tet? We have another five, six votes. More than that, almost a million. Okay, and who says to the middle of Pasek Okay, that's the majority. Okay, election year. Okay, explain, explain why there. Okay, okay. That was, that's grammar. You, I see you know Hebrew, right? I can tell. <laughs> if you know Hebrew, by the way, that word Venechaper, only grammar teachers understand exactly what Ebenezer's even mixed up. It's a, it's, a, it's a binyani file, but that'll mix everybody up. But it's not, it's not someone speaking. Okay? Now, who's speaking then? If it's not the people speaking, if it's not the, the speaking, who's speaking in Benachapel Lahem Adam? 
Chumash. What do you call the narrator of Chumash? Actually, here it's Moshe Rabbeinu in, in his speech. Okay, the same person who said Pasuk Aleph is speaking in the middle of Pasuk Tet. I'll explain what I just said in a minute. Okay, now, um, okay, now, and the end of Pasuk Tet is also interesting because is someone speaking in Pasuk Tet? Who said pa- end of Pasuk Tet? Yeah, why just explain why you said that? And what are they telling them? Okay. Also, very good possibility. And I'll explain what she said. Is that the last line could be that the ceremony is over. This is like sort of an add-on to the ceremony. Now the question is this add-on being stated by the elders or by Chumash? Yeah, question? Yeah. yeah w- w- it could be. That's right. It could be understood as part of the quote, which it makes sense saying that after making this statement, we're sort of requesting and hoping that this dam will do this kapara. I'm gonna, we're going to spend a lot of time on what you said in a minute. Now, how does English translation in JPS Paskin? In the middle. In the middle, right? Now. Okay. All the Parshanim disagree. <laughs> disagree. They agree, but disagree. Because probably you were about to say that. I didn't let you say it. Yeah. Explain what you're going to say. You were right. The, tr- the, first, the first answer was really right. The end of Pasuk Zion is a partially right answer. You know why? How many people are here? How many people are in this story? How many groups of people are there? There's the elders, the elders and the judges, and also there's the Kohanim. Now, what do the, the elders say? What should they say? Okay. They have to say, notice, they wash their hands from this murder, and what are they saying? Our hands did not spill this blood. That makes a lot of sense. Why are the Kohanim coming? Right? What's the job of the Kohanim? Remember, there's two things. It says, That's a responsive, that's a responsive type of talking. Also, right beforehand, the Kohanim come. Therefore, all the commentators point out that there's two different groups of people speaking. There's a response, it's responsive reading. Like in, like in some shows. You understand? What's happening? First, the elders in this ceremony, they wash their hands over this blood and they make a declaration, we did not spill this blood. And then who says Pasachet? That's the Kwanim. The Kwanim come and say, and pray now, Kaper Lam Chesel Shepadita, atone, now they're praying to God that they should atone the sin. In the middle of the Pasuk. In the middle of the Pasuk. Because of the grammar part of the Nechaper. Even though, there's, we'll see why very soon. That's Pasuk Tet. It's, a Pasuk, it's verse 9. Okay, we're going to get to that. Okay, now, now I'm going to start the share. That was the, that was the preparation time. Okay. <laughs> now we have to make a share out of it. <coughs> Excuse me. Does this seem to be like a ceremony, doesn't it? Yeah. But what's the problem? There's a Pasuk we need to read, which is not on the source sheet, but it should be well known. But if you have your Chumash, you can take a look. At the end of the book of Bamidbar, towards the end, the end of chapter 35, there's what's called the laws of cities of refuge, Arimiklat. You're familiar with them, right? There's a whole set of laws what needs to be done. At the very end of chapter 35, there's a very interesting summary Pasuk, which explains why it's so important in the land of Israel to make sure that there's cities of refuge. Chumash, I mean, the end of Perak the end of chapter 35, the last two lines. I'll read slowly. A summary of all the laws of refuge. You know, who, who runs away to a city of refuge and who doesn't? Don't pollute the land. that you're living in. This blood that's being spilled will pollute the land. Remember the word? Difficult passage to translate. But what Chumash is saying, the land will not be atoned for this blood except with the blood of the person who spilled it. Understand the concept? What does it say here in English? For the, um, for the land can have no expiation for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him, of him or he who shed it. Correct? And then, don't, Defile the land. Asher that you're living in. Again, the land of Israel. 
אשר אני שוכן בתוכה. Listen carefully. Don't defile the land that you're living in. That who's living in? That you're living in? And God is living in. That'll be the key for the whole shir. Ki ani Hashem shochein betoch b'nei Yisrael. I'm God dwelling among the people of Israel. This land is special because God dwells there. My people dwell there. And therefore, it can't be that there's a homicide that's not solved. You follow? In this land, it can't be that, that someone is killed and nobody cares. The land is very sensitive to spilling blood. And that's going to help us bridge the gap between the irrational and the rational. But there's a reason why this is especially a law for the land of Israel, because the land of Israel and the people of Israel living on that land have a universal job of being a model for other nations to learn from. And if God's people and God's nation, if there's a homicide, and no one knows what happened, it's not solved, that's not good. God doesn't want any nation to have homicide. But God's nation, I'll, bring, I'll be mean and bring an example from Israeli... Uh, Israeli politics. Something happened yesterday. Actually, there's two things. Um, I'll, I'll do the one example from, from uh, right wing, left wing. Okay? If there's, if there's a, uh, a caravan, you know, a illegal, what they call, I don't want to say illegal, uh, an outpost. No, well, the caravans are one of the, what they call illegal settlements, a hilltop settlement. And the government decides you have to take it down, you know, um, the prime minister, whoever it might be, depending on the day, um, gets an SMS from the president here, everyone that might be, and says, no, we have to bring peace, take down, take down that caravan. What happens to all the kids with Kippot Surgot and like Maichevra, or what happens? They get SMSs, the what? Everyone's got to go to that hilltop, surrounded, etc., so they can't take it down. Because this can't happen, because if that caravan goes down, within two months, Tel Aviv's gone off the map. You understand? It's one, you know, the domino effect. If we, if we, we, if we let one caravan... I'm not, I'm not taking a side here. I'm just bringing an example. But when, you, when something is really important to you, right, and you have a value, and that value, let's say, is settling land of Israel, that one caravan is going to be equal to the value of the entire land of Israel. And therefore, if they're going to take it down, everyone comes to demonstrate. Uh, an example in the city of Stom has something similar. If you remember the way the Ramban explains what happened in Stom, in Stom there was a law no guests allowed. Because we don't want to ruin our neighborhood. It was a gated community. No guests allowed. If we let someone guy come in, wait, we can't watch football Sunday afternoon. You follow? Everyone, everyone would be knocking on the doors. Therefore, there's a law in stone. No guests allowed. No if answer buts. This newcomer, Lot, what did he do? He harbored two guests. As soon as the word gets out in stone that there's two guests in town, what happens? The entire city, Kola Amikatsemi, Narabatsakain, the entire city is there demonstrating. They all got their SMSs. Right, they all came and they're demonstrating because that is a value in stone. Okay? There's, certain, there's certain values that people have that are, all values are equal, but some values are more equal than others. Okay. Now, take the same analogy to the land of Israel. Okay? There's a homicide. It can't be that there's a homicide and no one knows what happened. Someone has to take responsibility. And what are we saying? If there's a homicide in the town, it can't go unnoticed. It can't say, oh, no one's responsible. We have to make a big deal about it, and that's going to lead to this ceremony. Yeah, you had a question? Yeah. Why, why is there an attempt to solve it? Why isn't there? Yeah. There was. That's the opening line. Some, we don't know. We don't know who's with him. We don't know. So obviously, you try to find out. Now, the answer to your question, some of the commentators will be on. What you're asking is, is the answer is in verse 9, according to most commentators. We'll see that soon in the Ebenezer. But, but it don't complicate matters. But what I want to explain in the beginning is that because this is the land of Israel, this is a nation representing God, it can't be that a homicide goes unsolved. Now, if the, Pasek, if the verse we saw in the end of Bamidbar is correct, I can view it in two different ways. I can do that Pasek at the end of, in the end of chapter 35 in, in Bamidbar, the end of Parshat Masay, that when someone is dead, his, butt, his blood is bubbling. Understand the idea? If you know in Kinot, there's the example of the blood of the Nabi Zechariah, who was killed in the middle of the first temple period. And when Nebuchadnezzar comes to destroy the temple, there's a Kinah about it, that blood is bubbling and bubbling, right? Until we finally found out, and, and whose blood is that, that can't stop, that's not stopping? The blood of the Nabi Zechariah, which is a beautiful drash on, on how one of the reasons why the temple was destroyed was because of murder. Because there was too much war, uh, murder. 
Yeah, question? The, the, the word, yeah, there's a very similar pasuk by Kain and Evel. Dam achicha, the brother, yes, where's your brother? He has, his, his blood is screaming out from the, from, the, from the ground. Now, I can take this in a voodoo approach and say what happens if the land of Israel is special for whatever reason, holy, what they call, and it's very sensitive to blood, and if I don't solve this bubbling blood, what will happen? We're in for trouble. Why do we need an atonement ritual? I got to get the blood, I got to quiet down the blood. Now, the best way to quiet down the blood is to do what? Find the blood of the murder. But let's say I don't find the blood of the murder. I need a ritual to do what? To solve the bubbling blood. Got the idea? Okay. And, and I can take the whole thing to the realm of mystical. I understand the, I understand the concept of bubbling blood. You follow? But, but here's technical. I need to do some type of ritual to solve something in the metaphysical world. That's a more mystical approach. Okay. Now, guess how the realm... How do you think the Rambam is going to explain this? Remember the Rambam, Maimonides? Not that way. So soon we're going to see what, what he has to say. Um, inside. Um, I'll just summarize what he says. The Rambam goes and explains that every act here, the goal is to find the murder. How's that going to happen? If we have time, we'll read it inside later on. Um, but I want to summarize his main point. He says like this. When you measure... From, from that place to the city, what's going to happen? No, the, the Beit Din in Yerushalayim sends a, a, an official team to go make the measurements. Oh, people start talking. The elders of the city, they have to come. People start talking. The whole nation, the Kohanim come. You follow? It's a national gathering. Everyone's hanging around. And people are going to start asking, hey, what happened? What's going on? Oh, you know what? That? Oh, I saw somebody. But it's like in any good CSI movie or TV show, the more people talk, the more questions you ask, Someone's going to come up with the evidence. And in fact, he says 90% because majority of homicides are someone living nearby. That's usually it's someone who the, who the victim knew. Or so, someone local. Okay. But he goes, he goes act by act. Each thing, like for example, they talk about this field. That if we do this ceremony, this field's going to go to waste. No one can work it anymore. That's going to get the businessmen involved. Hey, what do you mean? We're going to lose money here. So someone's got to talk. You follow? Other people are going to say... The, the elders beforehand oh I have to waste the whole day of learning I have to go to the ceremony and, and, be, and make this let's find out before we have to do this so that's the direction if we have time we'll see that inside but he takes a very rational approach and he says this is one of the uh, um, he says, even though it's a chok it's a chok that makes sense <laughs> yeah it did not take place the, the, the goal again, the goal of Rufa is so we shouldn't do it he says exactly that. He goes, the goal is that we shouldn't have to do this ceremony. The goal is not to do this ceremony. And, and by doing that, it will help us solve the murder. What you're going to ask is exactly what Ramban's going to ask. Listen, you say, I'm sure it is. <laughs> Both questions. We're going to get perfect right on the spot. That's exactly what the, all the commentators deal with that. Okay. I'll, I'll repeat the question. The question is, once we've done this ceremony, case closed, and I can't, and, no, and, and, the, and the murder now is free, and I don't even bother the case anymore, it's done, right? That's number one. And number two, how long do I wait before doing the ritual? Right? No, do I do it the next day, a month later, a year later, etc.? Now, look at, look at the, um, let's go to, back to the end of verse 8. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I was, I preempted the Ramban. Guess what the, you, I want you to guess, what's the Ramban going to say about the Rambam's approach? Ramban's more into mysticism, right? Yeah. What, what's the weak part of, the, of, the, of Rambam's approach? Yeah, what, why, break, why break the neck? You know? what's, what's an aura and bite, and bite from his back? Like, barfu. Barfu means they, they kill him from the back. Right? What does the back of the neck have to do you know, with anything? What? Balak. And where, where's the word? Uh, ah, very good. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll say what you said. When, we're, when we sin, like with Chet Egel, God says, I saw the people, they're an Amkshe Oref. A nation that doesn't follow God properly is called an Amkshe Oref. Now, if we're looking for symbolism, we're right on the mark. Right? And why an Egel already? Egel and, and Egel Rufa. Right? Now, um, washing your hand over blood. Now, who's, who's, if it's symbolic, who is this um, slaughtered animal representing? <laughs> is that the blood of the victim <laughs> or is it the blood of the 
of the murderer. <laughs> words, are we killing the murderer or are we, are we representing the victim? Big argument also in the, in the philosophical side. Now, to, to solve all this, we have to go back and read the Psukim carefully now. Where the quote ended, what's that mean? The end of verse 8. Based on, based on what we saw in Sefer Bamidvar, when we had that verse, what, what does that seem to mean? What have we accomplished by doing this? The end of verse 8, that last phrase. What have we accomplished? We've atoned the blood. What blood? The blood that's bubbling and going to come in and haunt us if we, don't, if we didn't do this. We've solved the problem of the bubbling blood. Case closed. Now look at verse 9 and we have to take a vote. Verse 9, we'll just read it again. What's that mean? You will get rid of this um, innocent blood from your midst. By doing what? By doing what is right in the eyes of God. Now, is that last line a summary or is it an add-on? Yeah. You understand my question? I'll explain it again. Okay. The last line says, you'll get rid of this innocent blood when you do that is straight in the eyes of God. Now, that passage can be understood as a summary of the first eight psukim. What am I summarizing? I'm summarizing the ceremony. And by doing this ceremony, if, if it's a summary, what is Yeshar Ben Hashem referring to? Following this, following this ritual. By doing this ritual, which is doing what's right in the eyes of God, because God commanded it, by doing that, you will have gotten rid of this innocent blood. And, that, and with that passage, I've summarized the whole unit. I finished. That's the end of the parsha. Okay. Or, is it an add-on? If it's an add-on, what's it coming to add on? Yeah, that's Rashi. And that's answered your question. To your question, Rashi understands the last Pasuk is, don't think that the murder is solved. Don't think you've absolved yourself of finding the murder. Because even though you've done this ritual, there's still a need to look for the murder. Okay? And therefore, it's a command. Understand? The last line is an additional command. It's an add-on. Don't think that we've solved the problem. We haven't. But continue to look for the murder. And that, and what's Yeshar Ben Hashem? Finding the murder. Okay? Okay, now, according to that, Moshe Rabbeinu, or Chumash here, Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking to the people. I finished the ritual side, and by the way, like an add-on, by the way, don't think, after doing this ceremony, it's over, Chumash is telling the reader, or Moshe is telling the people of Israel, which later becomes Chumash telling the reader, that there's still a need to look for the murder. Now, if that's true, what's the problem? <laughs> what do we gain? <laughs> That's your second question. If Rashi is right, if Rashi's interpretation is correct, we have a bigger problem. What do we gain? What do we gain by doing the ceremony if before the ceremony we had, we had an obligation to look for the murder? After the ceremony we said the obligation, what do we gain? Yeah? Uh, what, what would you say? you understand the question? That when they say our, our blood, are they saying it is individuals or as community leaders? And therefore, it looks like the case is closed. How could they say that if something was left unturned? Which, yeah? Uh-huh. So, according, so is this better now? Is this a summary post according to the Rambam? Or is it like Rashi? No, it would be, it would be like Rashi. I still have to look for the guy. For and hopefully I have with this new evidence. That's in my mind. But yeah. yeah but it, are we afraid of the murder? Are we afraid of the bubbling blood? But we got to do something. Now, um, I want to begin now with Ebenezer's approach. Again, Rashi's approach to this Pasuk is, it's an, ex- an extra command. Other commentators say, it's a summary. And what's Yashar Ben Yashem is doing, is doing um, this ritual. Okay? Yeah. yeah. Like, like that, now the murder can breathe easy, so don't let him breathe easy. Yeah. Now, if you look on, on, this, on the page with the Parshanim, it's, I know it's only in Hebrew, but it's just one little line. The Ebenezer. First, it brings all the possibilities that we brought up. Then he says, What's he saying? He says the last Pasek is not an add-on. It's not a summary. Okay? Nor is it an additional commandment. Right? It's good advice you get from your dentist after filling five cavities. What's he tell you? If you brushed your teeth, right? This wouldn't happen in the first place. 
You understand what it's doing? It's what we call in, in fancy English, a shtoch. <laughs> know what that is? Yeah, yeah. He's saying, what's Moshe Rabbeinu saying after giving this ritual? He's saying, if you're really worried about innocent blood, then do what? Do, it has nothing to do with a specific case. It's saying something much deeper. It's saying, there's a reason for the homicide that has nothing to do with the murder. It's saying society is responsible. And if this society was doing Hayashar ben Hashem, which is referring to what? We'll see. That's the big question now is, what does Hayashar ben Hashem mean? Is Hayashar ben Hashem equal to what God commanded us? Or is Hayashar ben Hashem something above and beyond what God commands? You understand it's going to take us to Yom Kippur? You follow? When God says, when Chumash says, do what's Hayashar ben Hashem, that rephrases many times in Sefer Dvarim, and also in Shemot, which we're going to see now. When Chumash says, do what is straight in the eyes of God, is that equal to what God commanded you? And if that's the case, then it's a summarizing and saying, if you do what God commanded you, which is this Egla Rufa, right? Then you will solve the problem of this innocent blood. Summary. Or exactly the opposite. Right? If you're really worried about innocent blood in your community, do what is straight in the eyes of God, which is what? Establish a just and upright society, and things like this won't happen. And the fact that there was a murder is a sign that something's rotten in Denmark. You follow? I don't care who killed him. Right? You could be sitting and learning all day long. You're responsible because you're part of the community. I'll bring another example from Israel. It was on the news this week. Um, the state of Israel charged the CEO, the, uh, the Menalim. What's that, the month, what's that in English? The, uh, the, the board of directors of the Israel R- Railway Company the people in charge of the railroad were charged with murder for the train accident um, a couple of years ago where like 17 people were killed. Remember? There was a tra- terrible train accident. Something happened. It was a train accident. Now, who's responsible? Right? They investigated. And the people being charged for the murder now are the directors of the, of the, of the, of the railway. Why? That's their job. What? Now, that's for a Jewish lawyer... That's a tremendous case, isn't it, on both sides? You understand why it's such a good case? What do you mean? I didn't kill anybody, right? But that's the question. How much responsibility does the, does the CEO of a, of a company, does the ex, ex, executive director of a company, how much responsibility does he have for what happens in his company? So for sure, the reason why it happened is because the conductor was, I know, talking on his cell phone instead of... No, someone didn't do their job. But there's a reason why someone didn't do their job. It starts from the top and trickles down. Understand? Now, that's the question now, and that's the direction I want to go with there, is that specifically in the land of Israel, if this is a nation chosen by God to represent Him, and this is supposed to be God's model nation, a homicide can't happen. If it does happen and no one cares about it, something's wrong. Something's terribly wrong. And we have to do something about it. We have to have a national... We have to have a demonstration. Now, you just can't say have a demonstration. That demonstration needs a format. And Chumash gives us the format. What's the format? Everything in that format is symbolic. And there's nothing irrational about it. Understand? Because, again, everything that the Rambam said is fine. By measuring, you know, people speak and it'll help find the evidence. But it's more than that. I need to make... A, a, what's a... a what's this thing that's for Yiddish? I need a... a, a I've got to make a big deal about it. You follow? A stimul. I've got to do something about it. This can't go... There's got to be a demonstration. And, and after it happens, the leaders of the community say, something's wrong. And it's going to be a fast day, be, whatever it is. But something's wrong in our education system if something like that happens. The murders, that's a big question nowadays also, when there's a murder. Right? How much is it society's fault? Because we didn't educate them properly, we didn't give them proper... You know, how much does welfare really have to take care of this? Right? Or how much is it the person's problem? It's a big question. But what Egel Ruf is telling us, again, even if this never happens once in Jewish history, right? the law and the Torah is, you can learn so much from it. You understand what I mean? It's, there's, there's so much you can apply from this law. Let's say this law has never happened, like technically it's been so well more. Let's say we never get to a case like this. It's a theoretical one. The concept behind it it's amazing. You understand? It's talking about community responsibility. Who has, who has to be... Which leaders have to come? The elders. Right? The priests. Right? The judges. 
Not just one group. Everyone's got to be there. And they have to be involved and they have to take responsibility. Because they are responsible. Because whoever that murderer was, he went through our education system. And something went wrong. Got it? Now again, that doesn't mean the person who did it wrong isn't responsible as well. But there's community responsibility, especially community representing God. Now I don't expect that from every nation. I expect all nations not to kill. But that level of community responsibility may not apply to all nations, but it applies to the land of Israel, to the nation of Israel, because they're chosen to represent God. And then it fits perfectly into the whole theme of Sefer Dvarim, which is about that this week's parsha we're going to read. By keeping these laws, this will make you um, the same Tilawutiferet. By keeping the laws of Sefer Dvarim, you'll make a name and you'll glorify God's name. You'll make, you'll make His reputation well done. By being this Amkadosh, a nation separated to serve God, and then if that's the situation, then the laws of Egalurfa, the, the whole the idea behind it is we have to make a big deal about it. Now, question. Um, yeah, now, you're right. But again, th- but then we'd be doing it... Uh, yeah, yeah. But then we'd know the, the person. But I think here is the fact that no one... The fact that we didn't find the murder is sort of signs that really nobody cares. It's more... Like, this is even, the fact that we don't know the murder is even worse. It's, it's not the guy got away with it. It seems like... It's not like, oh, people, oh, so someone died. It's a big deal. It's like, like blood is it's cheap. Yeah. Um, then, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, it would be even worse. The, the same question came up besides the train accident. There were, like two, three weeks ago, there were several cases of, of parents murdering like four-year-old children. I'm sure you saw that in the news. And the question was, again, who's, whose fault is it? For sure the, the parent who killed the child or murdered the child. But still, how much are the neighbors responsible? Because there's a family in distress and no one cared about them. How much is the, again, welfare responsible? When, you, when people get to the point that their lives are so messed up that they murder their own children... Okay. There's a problem in society, you understand? Because with good neighbors and good education, things like that wouldn't happen. If, if someone is so distressed to do something like that, that shows that people, that there's a problem in society, there, there's not enough support. That doesn't mean that the person did something was okay. And they should be punished for what they did wrong. But society has to take a step back and ask ourselves what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, there's was a goal, Dom. We, we would... Uh, he, 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 no one knows who killed him. Yeah. Now, what I want to do now is... Um, yeah, one minute. Um, I want to follow this on the second page in, in the Hebrew English, on the, you know, page 2 in B. Okay? I want to look at this phrase. I want to look at this phrase of doing what's Yashar ben Yashem, what's doing straight in the eyes of God. The first time we have it... That's okay. In, uh, the first time we have it, I'll go in order. The first time we have it is in Source C, in Sefer Shemot, when we come out of Egypt. Remember, um, Source C. See, see like that. Um, we come out of Egypt, Kriyat Yamsuf. I, I call it like after the first Kolisha, you know, when Miriam sings. I mean, then, yeah, remember? And then we get to a place called Mara. And the water's bitter. Remember that one? And something happened, people complain. God tells Moshe Rabbeinu to take some tree, something symbolic, and the water becomes sweet. After that whole incident is over, there were told that Moshe they're taught laws to the people of Israel, Chokum Ishpat, and they retested them, or trained them. And then we say as follows, in the last Pasuk, um, um, If you follow God, about, we haven't gotten the Torah yet, but we're on our way there. Do what is straight in his eyes. Listen to his commandments. Keep all of his laws. All the um, diseases I put on Egypt, I won't put on you because I'm I'm your doctor. Now, in that pasuk, is the Yashar ben Yashem equal to the mitzvot or something in addition to the mitzvot? What's it seem like? Is the, that's the first time you have this phrase, Yashar ben Yashem. What's it seem to be? Equal? Equal or? Yeah. It seems like everything there is something in addition. Yeah. Now, the question is going to be, how do you know what's the Yashar ben Yashem? That will be the big question. Now, um, question number two. I mean, source number two. In Sefer Tzvarim, which is the introduction, Paragvav, chapter six, that's source B, which is the introduction to to all the laws in Sefer Tzvarim. There will be easier to figure out uh, what the the context is. In Pasuk Tetzayim, Lo Tenasu Hashem, verse 16, don't test God like you did in Masah. 
And listen carefully to verse 17. Carefully watch and keep all the laws that God commanded you and his edot and his chukim which he commanded you. Then, What's that? Is that equal to the previous verse or something in addition? Yeah. It seems like it's in addition. Okay. In order to help you with your enemies. That's the question if it's an addition or equal to. If it's equal to, then what are we telling you? By keeping God's laws, that's straight and that's the simplest. If it's something in addition, we have a problem. Yeah, we have another 20 coming to the back. Okay. Okay. Um, there's a Ramban that deals with this question. I think it's one of the most important Rambans in, in Chumash. Okay? The Ramban's bothered as follows. Ramban says like this. What does, in, this, in this verse, what say Hashem ben Hashem? If it's equal to the commandments, then there's nothing new. If it's not equal to the commandments, it's something extra, what's the problem? What do we know? <laughs> I know what God commands is Yashar ben Hashem. How do I understand what God doesn't command? So Ramban says as follows. We'll do this one in English and the next Ramban we'll do in Hebrew. Um, see the one in short, B in the Ramban on, on the right. Okay? Matches up B on the other side. Okay? Uh, in line with the plain scripture, I can't read this in English, okay? Keep the commandments of God, etc. I'll tell you where we skip to. Um, verses 311, our rabbis have a beautiful midrash in this verse. They said, that which is right and good refers to compromise and going beyond the requirement of the letter of the law. Called pshara and lifnim tadin. He says, first he says, simple pshara is, and the first line says that keeping the commandments is what straighten eyes of God. Then he says, the rabbis add on and say it's more, it's a, a letter above and beyond the law. Now he has to deal with the problem to explain what do the rabbis mean. So he says like this. Um, okay, the intent of this is as follows. Okay, have it? At first, Moshe Rabbeinu stated, first keep his laws and testimonies and everything he commanded you. And now he's stating that even where he did not command you, give thought as well to do what is right in his eyes. For he loves the good and right. Now, now this is a great principle. For it's impossible to mention in the Torah all aspects of man's conduct with his neighbors and friends and all of his transactions and all the ordinances, etc. But since he mentioned many of them, I'll explain what he says as follows. What he says in English is, man's job is to connect the dots. Understand? God can't program you 24-7 how to act every, everything that might come up in life. You follow? No set of laws can tell you how to act. Can't, can't solve every single situation. Not for humans. So why does Chumash even try? Chumash says like this. I'm going to give you a set of laws with a dots on a graph. Remember in the lab, in physics lab, you have a thing and you get dots on the graph and then if you, if you see there's a pattern, then you have an equation and you can predict the next ones. So Chumash gives us dots on the graph and based on these dots on the graph, what can I figure out? I'll get a pretty good idea of what would God want in a situation that didn't come up. Now, look at the examples he brings. What are his dots on the graph? But since he mentioned many of them, such as, that should not go up and down, uh, that's lo telech rochia mecha. And then he says, then he says, um, So basically he brings up, where are all these examples from? What part are they all from? It's all from Kedoshim to you. They're all from Parshat Kedoshim to you. What's he saying? Now, anyone who knows the Ramban, how does Ramban explain Kedoshim to you? Famous Machok with Rashi. Right? Rashi says, you know, don't... Rashi says, don't be bad. Don't do Arayot. What's Rashi saying? What's Ramban saying? What's the name of the famous Ramban? What's called Naval Bershut Torah. He says, you can keep all the laws of the Torah and still be a total bum. And it's easy to prove he's right. <laughs> he says, he says Chumash is that's on a graph. Understand? That's his, um, no, that's his point. And therefore, when you study Chumash, the main thing you're doing is you're getting that's on the graph. And you have to put two and two together and say, given this situation, based on what God told me in Parshat Toshim to you, what should I act in the next one? And don't turn yourself into a robot, turn yourself into a human. And use your head. That's Hashem ben Hashem. Now, based on that understanding, what Ebenezer is saying, on our case, is beautiful. It's a perfect ending if the purpose of this ritual, this kapara ritual, this atonement ritual, is to get the people to wake up and understand, then I understand why I need a ritual. The ritual isn't something mystical. There might be mystical value to it, but 
it's logical not just to find the murderer, like, like Rambam is saying. It's not just technicalities to find the murderer. It's to cause the people to wake up. To understand there's a bigger picture going on. It's a wake-up call. What we call before a shtach. Because things like that shouldn't happen. Now, to make this public event, I need ritual. Because it doesn't work without it. If there's ever a testimonial dinner to anybody. Right? <laughs> Whatever you're doing, you have to present something. Don't you? You have to have some kind of plaque. You have to give something meaningful. And what do you pick to do? Oh, this is meaningful, that's meaningful. So therefore, why dafka negla and why breaking from the RF? Right? And why washing your hands? Everything is meaningful. You follow? Now, I might not have thought that in the beginning. But it's not just something mystical because that blood is bubbling over. It makes, everything there makes a lot of sense. And everyone gathered at that ceremony is good, should be affected by it, especially the leaders right? and the whole community because something like that can happen. It's a sign that something's wrong in the city. Now, I want to conclude the share with um, the back page. We'll do a little bit of Hebrew now. I did my English version. Did the Hebrew version. <laughs> on the... Um, on the Hebrew page, this one definitely doesn't have it. Okay. On the Hebrew page, um, yeah? This one has it? That, that does have it. I'm sorry, yeah. That's, I'm sorry. Um, look where it says E, uh, the Rambana and Devarim 21. We saw the Eben Ezra. Uh, on the Ramban, he brings about, um, see Ramban, on Pasuk each group says, the Kohanim come to say the second quote. Remember the two quotation marks? I just brought that to prove what we were talking about in class. Then, Binyan Arifa, he says that first he brings Eben Ezra, that the reason why the community has to do it because the community is responsible. Then he brings the Rambam Mlorin Nebuchim, where he says, The purpose of this entire ceremony is to find the murder. Not because we didn't find it's to help find him. He switches everything around. And then he brings examples. And then we have the big print. After all, doing all these things, see where it's uh, like six lines down? By doing this, people are going to talk. It's so cool when you know detective the stories. It's classic. But the goal of all these actions we're doing is to get people to talk. And by people talking, we'll find the murder. Okay. Now, what's Ramban say afterwards? Well, the feed that tea. What do you say? He still thinks it's in the realm of Chukim, it's mystical, just like, it's, I can't do that with Ser Mishtalech. He says, it's too similar to what you said in the beginning. It's like the Yom Kippur ritual. It's like Yom Kippur. Now, it could be you can do the same thing we just did on Yom, about Yom Kippur. We'll end with that soon. But Ramban and Rambam's approach are classic, aren't they? The Kabbalist and the Rationalist. It's so cute to see them in their... In their now, I, I want to conclude with the Rambam in Mishneh Torah, which is classic. There's two Rambams here, and you can't appreciate what we're quoting because without seeing where they're coming from. The Rambam dedicates two of his 14 books to sacrifice worship to um, Korbanot. There's Sefer Korbanot, Sefer Avodah. The book of temple service and the book of the sacrifices. The last set of laws in the book of Avodah is Hilchot Murah. We'll see soon. And the last set of laws in the book of Karbonot is Mi'ilah. Got that? Now, how does, these are the last laws of each of these books. The very last law. Now, how does he end the laws of Yichot Mi'ilah? He says like this. He deals with the question, how do I bridge the gap between Chukim, the laws that don't make sense, and the laws that do make sense? And this is the rationalist speaking. Listen. Mr. Rash, this is, Rambam is the rationalist, isn't he? Listen to what he says. On the t- top left. Torah. A person should try as much as possible to understand the laws of the Torah, The Rambam says it's a person's responsibility to study every single law of the Bible and try to understand it to the best of his ability. He's going to break his head on them. What happens if it doesn't make sense to him? What happens if you're puzzled? Okay. A person, if he doesn't find a reason and can't find any logic behind it, that shouldn't cause him to disrespect that law. It's, you keep every law with total respect whether you understand it or not. See what he's saying? No matter, you, have an, you have a responsibility to try to the best of your ability to understand the logic of every law. If you don't understand it, keep it with the same respect. <laughs> understand? It's amazing what he's saying. Then he brings the quotes great psukim which we, I cut up. Okay. Then he says, it says in the Torah, You have to keep my laws and do them. Now the Rambam is bothered by 
or Chazal or Vavad Bai, what is keep them and do them? Do them. What is keep them and do them? So how do you keep them and do them? So, um, this tells you that both Chukim and Mishpatim, the logical and so-called illogical, require both keeping and guarding. Now, how do you guard laws? Okay. What's What's doing them? Doing them is keeping them. Okay. What's Shmirah? Right? How do you guard laws? How do you guard chukim? How do you guard laws? By treating them with respect. Understand? The laws that don't have an obvious reason, which, oh, they think these are crazy, these are stupid. And uh, you, you would call this azel. You um, belittle them. He says, that's the law, you can't do that. You have to respect the laws, even the ones you don't understand. This is the rationalist speaking. Got it? No. So he says, where are the mishpatim? Those are the mitzvot shetaman galui. Those are the laws that have an obvious reason. And it's obvious what the good is about them. For example, the laws of Gezel, Shvichud Damim, basically the, the second half of the Ten Commandments. Kibbutz Aim, the things that every society would come up on their own, um, even if they weren't commanded. Okay. Now, Bachukim, he didn't say Chukim are laws that don't make sense. Okay, that, that's, that's off. Most kids say Chukim don't make sense, Mishpatim do make sense. No. He says like this. He says, What are Chukim? There's no obvious reason. I wouldn't have thought of them on my own. Even without the Torah, I would know it. That's a mishpat. It's based on logic and it makes sense. Chukim, there's no obvious reason. And I wouldn't have thought of it on my own. But there is some reason to it. And therefore he says you have to try as much as possible to understand all the... All them. The laws that I made, you don't have the right to you know, question them. And a person's Yet Sahara is always trying to get him not to do them. And other nations make fun of them all the time. And look at the examples he brings of Chukim. Kagon, Isur Basar Vachazir, Basar Vachalav, understand? Eating trafe meat, eating pig meat, eating milk meat together. What? There's no logic to it. Eglah Rufa, Paraduma, Sir Mishtalech. What do you add to the list? The source in Yoma that we have in, our, in, in the Bavli doesn't have Eglah Rufa in it. Right? It's, it's different gears to all. It's so to that design. But it doesn't, the Rambam gear set does have it. <laughs> now, there's no doubt that the Rambam holds that Egla Rufa has logic, doesn't it? It's a whole commentary on it has logic. What's he say? Why is it a chok? What? There's no obvious reason. <laughs> but still, there's logic to it. Do you understand the Rambam's approach? The Rambam says it's beautiful. He bridges the gap between rational... There's a need. He says, in Morning of he says, if we were living at the time of the Torah, there would be logic to everything we're doing. The reason it doesn't appear to be logic to us is because we don't have enough data. But the more data we collect, the more we understand. He says, there has to be a reason. But the Chukim are the ones that don't have an obvious reason, but we have to treat them with the utmost respect, even though we don't understand them. Then, at the end of Hilchot Tumorah, he says what you said, someone said in the beginning. Listen. Which is the end of um, Sefer Avodah. Says, this is the last line. Because Elo Advarim. All these, this is the end of Korbanot Navoda, which is pure ritual, isn't it? Okay. All these things that we're doing, which will include Yom Kippur, Kirei Lechof Yitzro, you know what that means? To, what's Lechof Yitzro? To um, conquer his, his, his uh, inclinations, okay? To do what? To fix his thoughts. All the actions that people do, someone said that in psychology, right? Someone said that before. That the actions you do affect, the actions you do with your hands, Affect how you think. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, more, the thoughts then, yeah, the thoughts then trickle down to his character. Okay. Most of the laws of the Torah, what are they? What he says there? They're great advice from who? From Gdoitzah. We hear that at funerals. That's the Tosik we're calling. Gdoitzah The greatest advisor there is. He's right. He chooses his words carefully, the Rambam, doesn't he? Right? Okay. What's the purpose of all the mitzvot? To do what? The takein deot means to put us, to fix the way we act, the way we think, to put us in right action, and liyasher kolamasim to do, to straighten our actions. Why do you pick that word liyasher and kolamasim? Asitayasher ben Hashem. You follow? Now, in other words, take the mitzvot and learn from them. Now, there's a slippery slope here, which is so classic, and that's why the Rambam is so adamant here. Once you say everything is rational, and there's logic to everything, 
then what would you say? You don't, you don't need the technical laws. Just, you know, I understand the idea of the concept. Remember, that's not going to work. You follow? Now, the second I say there is no logic to any of the laws, I, become, I can become a Naval Brashut Satorah. I can become, I can keep every law and still be a bum. So at, at the same time, the Rambam demands the utmost um, need to study every law and try to understand what's the rationale. And he says there has to be a rationale, and there is one. And we have to try our most, our best to find it. But whether we find it or not, we have to keep it, meticulously, no matter how illogical it seems to us. And, 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 you're, living, and, and you're living in that tension all the time. Now, the same thing happens in Yom Kippur. Okay, Yom Kippur is a classic Kapara ritual. It's an atonement ritual, isn't it? What I'm getting at, atonement rituals, you can view them as rituals or there's something like they look almost like pagan sometimes. But behind them is tremendous thought. There's tremendous symbolism. And when you study them and understand them, you, you, and you, have, you have to look, and there is tremendous meaning. But one of the meanings behind them, I think that has to do with Yom Kippur, is the very fact that we as a nation and a congregation and a community gather together and make a big deal about something. Understand? Right? The same thing with Egla Rufa. Irregardless of what it works in the mystical sense. It's everyone coming to Shul and blowing Shofar and saying Seder Avodah, right? And Dabri Musaf and making fun of the Chazan. Everything, <laughs> everything we're doing, you follow? Right? That gathering, that has an effect. Now, that has to come hand in hand with education, understanding and studying. But, but what appears sometimes is like technicalities with no meaning. They have tremendous deep meaning. But there's a need to study them and understand what they represent to make it work. I think that's, that's, the, that's the bridge. Now, the fact that Chumash called the most logical kaparal ritual, the most logical atonement ritual, I think, is this one here. Hands down, right? Egla Rufa compared to the Yom Kippur thing makes much more sense. But if you study Chumash, I'll tell you, <laughs> at least the way I understand it, when you understand everything the Kohen Gadol does, that would, take, that would really take a three, four hours share. Right? Because everything the Kohen Gadol is doing is that whole service, the whole Mishkan is, is reflective of Mount Sinai. The covenant of Mount Sinai, when we get it, everything in the Mishkan, as a famous Ramban, is reflective of Har Sinai. They're all reminding us of Har Sinai. And, and the need to do something to re, relive and reenact the Har Sinai experience. Especially receiving the second Luchot with the Kapara idea. And the whole idea of Kapara. And that we're getting something we don't deserve that needs a ceremony, it needs a big deal. And there, the word kapara, which we don't have time, and that, well, I'll close with that. The word kapara means what? Atone, which we have no idea what that means. Right? Kapara, this, again, this is an hour share, but I'll just give you the highlights. Kapara in Hebrew, the first time we have it, is by Noach and the, and the, and the, and the Teva. You can read this here online if you want, on Miriam Kippur. Um, kapara means to cover, a protective cover. Taking Altichu Kofar the Nefeshot, a better example, in Davening. The Kaporet. Kaporet is a cover over the Arom, but not just a cover. It's a protective cover. Because what's on the Kaporet? Kruvim, which are guards. They guard Ganeden, they guard the road to Ganeden, they guard the Arom. A protective cover is a Kaporet. Kfor, frost over the ground. You say in Psukhet Zimra. Kfor, Kefer Yafazer. God takes frost, frost covers, it's a, it, it's a protective cover over the ground. Don't take ransom money. It's, it's a protective cover. Now, when the Kohen Gadol goes into the Kodesh Kodeshim, what does he need? He doesn't need atonement. Even if he did nothing wrong. He needs protection from what? From the Shekhinah. From, from, what is, how can man, mortal, be so close to God? By definition, it's impossible. You're so close to God, how, is it so, how, how can you do such a thing? But on the other hand, we're... The Kohen Gadol going to the, into the Kodesh Kodeshim represents the nation of Israel coming close to God. And the fact that God dwells in our midst is the idea we're representing God. And the fact that God has a house in our midst, what's that mean? If God has a house in our midst, it means He's available, He's around, and we're representing Him. Oh, He lives in, in that house. And that puts responsibility in the house that He's living in. And this is the nation that represents God, that talks about God all the time. They have to be on the highest level of behavior because of that. Now, I need to do something to recognize that we have this tremendous responsibility and we're not always so worthy. And meet at the deen, what should happen to us? Huh? The second we do something, with a job like that, a marketing job that, like that that we have, requires perfection. And we're not perfect. And meet at the deen, that means like, ideally or logically, 
We do something wrong, we should receive tremendous punishment for doing a lousy job. What did God give us? Midot HaRachamim. Remember those attributes of mercy? And God says, you know what? I'll give you sometimes a second chance. Show me you care, show me you do a better job next time, and I'll help you. What do we need? We need protection from punishment that we're deserving. Whenever you have kapara, it's someone deserving a punishment, at least on, on, a, on a general level, someone deserving a punishment, who requires protection from punishment, which he's deserving. But he has to give God a good reason. He has to show God that he understands what he did wrong and that it'll be better next time. He has to give God a good reason why he should use rachamim. And therefore, that whole kapara ritual, when you understand what's behind it, the same thing with God's attributes of mercy, by doing that ritual, you're reminding yourself of the, of the tremendous responsibility of representing God, of being Jewish, and how theoretically you may be deserving of a punishment. You're begging God, don't punish me. So you need something symbolic to show Him that you're, you're not worthy of the privilege that you're given, but you're begging God, give me another chance, save me from that punishment, and I'm proving to you that I'll do better next time. And that's just one example of the symbolism that Kapara is about. Kapara means when you understand protect protection from punishment that you might be deserving of, and here it's the same thing, the community should be punished. Something's wrong, and the leaders are responsible. They need to show God and show themselves that they recognize something was wrong and they have to do something about it. You need that ritual to represent your deot, your ideas. And that has an effect on your ideas. It will trickle down. And without that ritual, it won't get accomplished. The ritual does nothing, technically speaking, it does nothing. Mystically, maybe yes. But, but conceptually, it does everything. You follow? Because it reminds us, and humans always need those kinds of reminders, and that's the Rambam in the end of Sefer Avodah.